Penny, what was that? What was what? That voice just now. What was it? Soundtrack on the highway or something? Nope. Hey, Karen, dinner's ready. Kids are with the radio? Nope. Hey, are you really hearing voices? Just one. What did it say? If you build it, he will come. If you build what, who will come? He didn't say. Ooh, I hate it when that happens. Me too. Absolutely one of my favorite movies. How many of you saw that movie, Field of Dreams? See that? If you hadn't seen it, you got to see the movie. It is a great movie. And, and frankly, I like it because I'm a, I'm a big baseball fan, fan. And in the film, if you've never seen the film, Kevin Coster plays this farmer, uh, and his name is Ray. And he keeps hearing this voice inside of his head, and it keeps saying over and over, if you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. Well, Ray comes to believe through this voice and through a vision that he has that he's supposed to build a baseball diamond in the middle of this cornfield, and he does. And not only do some famous baseball players in the past actually show up, people had already died, but people from all over the country at the end of the movie came to watch baseball games being played in the middle of this cornfield, and it was a legacy to raise obedience to the vision and to the voice that was inside of him. And the reason why I wanted to show you that scene is because it really does kind of mirror a great truth that we're going to study this morning that, that, that mirrors how we're to live the Christian life and what the Christian life really is all about. Now, if you're just joining us today, we're in a series that we've been calling Real Grace, not R-E-A-L, but R-E-E-L. And real is spelled with two E's because we're in the book of Romans. And as we were reading the book of Romans, uh, our creative team, we kind of, you know, realized that not only does it read like a book, 
but particularly the first eight chapters could almost be just like a movie. It has everything that you would ever want. It's, it's like a screenplay. It's got a great director. His name is Paul. It's got a great setting, the world. It's got a great supporting cast. You and me, we're all in this book. Um, it's got a wonderful plot line. You've got law. You've got grace. You've got sin. You've got rebellion. You've got mercy. It's got a wonderful supporting cast. It's got everything imaginable going for it. But not only does the movie depict what grace is and how grace works and why we need why, why, you know, why we need it, it goes further and it shows us that in reality, the greatest need of the human race is grace. The greatest need of every person on this planet, it doesn't matter what shape they're in, financially, physically, emotionally, whatever, the greatest need of the human race, the greatest need we all have on a daily basis is grace. Now, as a believer, and I'm talking to those of you here today, or you're at Mill Creek, or you're watching online, or you're watching by television, I want to talk to you for a minute. You're a believer, and you know that once you become a Christian, you know that the old you is no longer the real you. You become a brand new you. We all know that. But this is where the frustration really begins to set in for practically every believer I've ever known. Because too often, the new you acts like the old you. Anybody have a problem with that? You say, you know, I, I, I know the, what the scripture says. I know that the old me is no longer the real me. I am a new me. But why is it that the new me sometimes, and maybe too often, acts like the old me? Because even though we've been forgiven from the penalty of sin, we fail to realize that the grace of God also gives us the power to, uh, to, to overcome the power of sin. Now, we've discovered that Paul, who is not just a Christian, Paul was a model Christian. Maybe, not counting Jesus, the greatest Christian who ever lived. And we discovered that even the Apostle Paul still struggled with sin in his own life. There was a civil war going on in his soul. And we studied a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, where Paul said, you know, I get so frustrated because the things I know I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. And the things that I know I should do, I don't do. And this is all the more frustrating in light of what he's been teaching us and what we've been learning in throughout this book of Romans. So let me just kind of summarize and tell you where we are. If we were watching the movie, this is where we would be. This is the scene we're coming up on. We go all the way back to the beginning of the movie and we find out that we're all sinners because we're all born in sin. And because we're in sin, we, our sin is under the wrath and the judgment of God. But at the cross, Jesus comes and he pays the penalty or pays the price for our freedom and he takes the pain of God's wrath and he pays the penalty for our sin. But the problem is we're learning now that Jesus didn't just die to keep us out of hell. He didn't just die to forgive us and give us eternal life. He didn't just die just to pay the penalty for our sin. He also came to deliver us from the power of sin. So up to this point, if you've been here and you've been paying attention, we've actually discovered some news that will kind of shake you up if you're a Christian. As a matter of fact, it might help some of those of you who are not Christians, and it may kind of help answer the reason why you've never become a Christian. Here's the truth that we've learned. On your own, you cannot live the Christian life, and you were never meant to. On your own, 
You can never live the Christian life you were meant to. I cannot tell you the number of times I've, I've shared my faith. I've talked to people about Jesus. I've shared the gospel. You understand Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He wants to come into your life. He wants to save you. He wants you to be born again. He wants you to have eternal life. He wants to forgive you. And it's all free. And I'll have people look at me and they say, absolutely, I, I understand that. And you think they're just on the cusp of wanting to come to Christ. And then you say to them, well, would you like to receive Christ in your life? And they'll say, no. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say this. Well, why don't you want to give your life to Jesus and become a Christian? Oh, I could never live up to it. I, I could never, ever live up to it. You are exactly right. On your own, by yourself, with no outside help, you cannot live the Christian life and you were never meant to. And that's what brings us to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. So if you brought an iPad, smartphone, Bible, whatever you brought, I want you to turn to the book of Romans. It's book number six in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I want you to turn to Romans chapter eight. And I want you to get ready today for a fantastic spiritual experience. There are some Bible scholars, they have called chapter 8 of Romans the Mount Everest of the Bible. Think about that. They say this is the highest point of the Bible. Others have said it is the greatest chapter in the greatest book in the Bible. Because chapter 8 describes probably more than any other chapter in the Bible, what does it really mean to be a true Christian? And how do you really live the Christian life? I don't know of any other chapter in the Word of God that tells us better, here's what it means to be a Christian. And once you become a Christian, this is how you're to live the Christian life. Now, every great movie, if, if, you, if you think about the great movies you've ever seen, I'll tell you one thing every great movie has in common. I promise you this is true. Every movie, every great movie has a great ending. You know, it doesn't matter how good a movie is, you agree with it. If a movie has a sorry ending, it's just not a good movie. Every movie has a great ending. And this chapter, the eighth chapter, is the glorious climactic ending to this movie that we have been calling Real Grace. Now, what we've learned so far is this. I'm kind of just going to summarize, give you two or three things to think about. Here's what we've learned so far. Ready? Number one, we cannot be right with God apart from the grace of God. We've already learned that. You cannot be right with God apart from the grace of God. In other words, you'll never get right with God and you won't stay right with God if you're trying to do it on your own. If you're saying, well, I'll try to be right with God by keeping the law. I'll try to be right with God by obeying his commandments. Well, I got news for you. You can't do it because the only way you'll, you can do it in a way that God would accept it is you've got to keep his commandments perfectly. But nobody's kept the commandments perfectly. Nobody's obeyed all the commandments. We've all broken God's law. And furthermore, we've all also learned the law does not motivate you to obey it. The law actually motivates you to disobey it. Now, if you don't believe that true, that's true, if you have, are a parent and you've either had young children or you have young children, you just try this, okay? You tell that child they can't do something. And see how that works out for you. You know, when you tell a child, now, you, you, you can't have the cookie before dinner. Well, you better not leave the kitchen. Right? Because what that, you lay down the law, but what does the law do? Does the law motivate them to obey it? No, it motivates them to disobey it. So, number one, we cannot be right with God except apart from the grace of God. Number two, you cannot get to God except through the Son of God. 
There's a barrier between you and God that you cannot break through. That barrier is called sin. And no matter what you do, you'll never take care of your sin problem. It's trying to get paint off the wall with water. It won't work. But what we've learned is, is that Jesus literally used the cross as a battering ram, and he broke through the barrier of sin. He crashed the wall of sin. He tore down the, 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 the uh, obstacle of sin so you and I, through him, could have a relationship with God. So here's what we've learned. First eight chapters, first seven chapters is number one, you cannot be right with God apart from the grace of God. Can't do it. Number two, you cannot get to God except through the Son of God. But now we come to a third truth. And, and, and basically, this is what we're going to be finding in this message today. You ready? Here we go. You cannot live for God without the Spirit of God. You cannot live for God without the Spirit of God. You can't be right with God apart from the grace of God. You can't get to God except through the Son of God. And you cannot live for God without the Spirit of God. Now, I told a story a, a few uh, months ago. You may remember about this lady that came to church, and she was kind of upset. She'd been coming for a while because I never talked about the Holy Spirit. Well, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. We have to, and, and we want to, because the Holy Spirit, if you read chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is talked about 19 times in the 8th chapter of Romans, more than any other chapter in the Bible. And here's what we're going to learn. If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're struggling with sin, you've got a secret weapon. And that secret weapon is the Holy Spirit. That's your weapon. That is our weapon. And what we're going to learn today, and this is important. Now, keep, keep one thing in mind for the rest of this message. The Holy Spirit is a family privilege. In other words, only those of us who are in the family of God have the Spirit of God, and only those of us who have the Spirit of God can win against sin. So what we're going to do today is we're going to learn today why the Holy Spirit is so important, what the Holy Spirit does in us and with us and through us and for us and by us to enable us to live the way that God wants us to live. So if you are a believer and you're struggling with sin, pay attention. If you are an unbeliever, and what has kept you from becoming a believer is this thinking that I could never, ever live up to it. Pay attention because this Word of God is for you. Now, we're going to skip down a few verses in Romans 8, come back, pick them up later. But I want to say, first of all, that the Holy Spirit empowers me to live as a Christian. That's fact number one. The Holy Spirit empowers me to live as a Christian. Now, we're going to read a very key verse, verse 14. For those who are led... By the Spirit of God are the children of God. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, you, everything else I say, do not forget this verse. Don't forget this verse. This is the foundational verse for everything we're going to say. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, that raises a question. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? I mean, that's a fair question. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Well, Paul actually gives us some clues in some preceding verses that we're going to come back to later on in this series. But let me just show three, three things that he says, and he kind of repeats himself in a way, but he's making a point. In verse 5, he says this, we live in accordance with the Spirit. Then he says, 
Verse 6, our mind is governed by the Spirit. And then he says in verse 9, we are in the realm of the Spirit. So what Paul is doing is he's saying, okay, I've kind of dropped the breadcrumbs so you can follow them along. Now let me get to the major point. To be led by the Spirit means this. It means that we live our lives according to the Spirit. It means the way we think our mind is governed by the Spirit. And it means that everywhere we go, we are in the realm of the Spirit. Now, let me just stop right here. If you want to know what makes a Christian different from a non-Christian, I just told you. If you want to know what makes the Christian life different from every other life, I just told you. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, the difference between the Christian life and the non-Christian life is this. We live according to the Spirit. We think, well, the way we think is governed by the Spirit, and everywhere we go, we are in the realm of the Spirit. Here's, now, here's the difference. If you're an unbeliever, you've never become a follower of Jesus. Don't worry, we've all been there before, okay? You, that is the unbeliever, you live according to the flesh. And your mind is governed by the flesh. And you move in the realm of the flesh. Now you say, well, what do you mean by the flesh? You mean my physical body? No. I mean your sinful nature. Remember, we were all born in sin. We were all born with this sinful nature. That's why we tend to do things we shouldn't do. And we tend not to do the things that we should do. That's the nature we were all born with. So let me kind of put it to you this way. This is a little bit, a little bit deep, so stay with me. Let's suppose that... that um, over here, we have a believer. And let's suppose that over here, we have an unbeliever. All right, now here's the difference. In the unbeliever, an unbeliever has one nature, a sinful nature, okay? Flesh, the fleshly nature, if you want to call it that. The unbeliever has two natures, a sinful nature and a spiritual nature. Or to put it another way, the unbeliever has kind of, if you will, kind of two, two mindsets in him. The old mindset, the new mindset. The old mindset, the new mindset. Oh, he has two natures. He's got a new nature. He's got an old nature. We're all born with the old nature, okay? So I'm a believer. I've got two natures in me. I've got a new nature and an old nature. Unbelievers only got one nature. He's got a sinful nature, the one he was born with. Now, the difference is between the flesh, the old nature and the Holy Spirit, which is in our new nature. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and controls your human spirit. So I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I'm a new person. I've got this new nature and the Holy Spirit is controlling my new nature. However, I still have in me this sinful nature, this fleshly nature. Well, this sinful nature still wants to tempt my body. It still wants to control my body through the flesh or the sinful nature. Well, that's where being led by the Spirit comes in. Because when you're led by the Spirit, Paul says, here's what will happen inside of you. Watch this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. That is, we, we owe something to someone. And here's what he says. It is not to the flesh, that's the, that's the person without Christ, to live according to it, for you live according to the flesh, you'll die, not just physically, but spiritually. But if by the Spirit, and here's what the Spirit of God will lead you to do, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, that's kind of complicated. Let me make it real simple and tell you what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, when you realize as a believer who lives inside of you, 
the Spirit of God, you realize all of a sudden, you know what? I am not obligated to my sinful nature anymore. I am not under the slave, uh, slavery of sin. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I don't have to give in to sin anymore. I don't have to obey, obey that old nature anymore. I can literally, he says, put to death the sin that rises up in my body. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit will lead you to do. Every time that sin wants to kind of bubble up and come out of you, if you're listening to the Spirit, led by the Spirit, he'll say, you need to put that to death. So to make it real simple, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, the Holy Spirit will always lead you where your sinful nature does not want to go. The Holy Spirit will always lead you where your flesh does not want to go. Here's a good example. Your flesh, the old you, right? Your flesh does not want to read the Bible. Your flesh, the old you, does not want to pray. Your flesh, the old you, wants you to keep your flashlight off never share Jesus, never tell anybody about Christ. Your flesh wants you at best to tip God, never ever to give God a tithe. So there, these are exactly the places where the Holy Spirit will lead you. The flesh will lead you one way, the Spirit leads another way. Or let me turn it, around, turn, it, turn it around the other way. The Spirit will lead you away from where your flesh wants to go. For example, your flesh wants you to look at pornography. The Spirit says, no, you don't want to do that. Your flesh will tell you, you ought to be addicted to more and bigger things. The Spirit of God will say, no, you don't need to do that. Your flesh will tell you, you need to be a slave to your anger and to your bitterness. But the Spirit will lead you away from that. So you've got these two things competing inside of you. And Paul says, when you're led by the Spirit, you won't give in to the flesh. You don't have to give in to the flesh. You can tell that sin where to go. We talked about this. You can literally put that sin to death in your body. Now, here's the good thing. Just as we love to give our kids gifts, and we do, and I love to give my kids, particularly my grandkids, we love to give them gifts. Well, God is no different. God loves to give his kids gifts. And the very first gift that God gives to his children is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The moment that you give your life to the Son of God, God gives you the Spirit of God. And you know why God gives you the Holy Spirit? Not just so you'll get spiritual goosebumps, not just so you'll feel good, not just so you'll feel good about yourself, not just so you'll feel forgiven. God gives the Holy Spirit for one primary purpose, leadership. He wants you to live a Spirit-led life. And in your battle against sin, the Spirit of God is on the front lines with you, and he's out in front of you. And just like Kevin Coster, he's that voice speaking inside of you. He's that voice speaking to you. We've all had that, this experience. Every one of us in this room, if you're a believer, you've had the experience of, of just knowing that God spoke to you, knowing that God told you to do this, or knowing that God told you to do that, knowing that God told you to share that witness, <clears throat> knowing that God told you to read that verse, knowing that God told you to make that visit. Well, that wasn't a, just a voice out there in the wilderness crying. That was the Spirit of God in you, speaking to you. I was reading the other day, when, when a large ship enters a harbor, it takes on board what's called a harbor master. 
Now, this is somebody that knows that harbor, knows it inside and out, knows where all the hazards are. He knows the strengths and directions of the tides and the currents. And what he does is he comes in, the captain steps aside, and the harbor master takes control of that ship, and he begins to steer that ship. In other words, he's the outside expert brought in to make sure that that ship goes to a safe docking. We have a harbor master. Every day when you get up out of your bed, we've got a harbor master called the Holy Spirit. And from the moment you give your life to, to Jesus, he comes in and here's what he says. Let me lead your mind. Let me lead how you think. Let me lead your will, the things that you do today. Let me even lead your emotions the way you feel today. And I'll tell you what, if you'll let me lead you, I'll help you think and do and feel what you need for the glory of God. And what Paul is telling us in this verse is, if you will let him, he will guide you safely through the stormy seas of sin and sorrow and suffering. However, when we fail to follow his leadership, and sometimes we do, let's be honest, when we fail to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that's when we get, up, get caught up in these bad currents and these big waves and we shipwreck our lives. Now, now listen, I want to go back. You remember that verse we read just a while ago where it says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God? Now, the reason I want you to remember that is this. Paul says that probably the number one mark that you are a child of God is that you are led by the Spirit of God. That's why I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is a family privilege. That's why I'm saying that we are God's children if we are led by the Spirit of God. Now, what does that mean? Let's think that through. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a child of God. If you're a child of God, you're led by the Spirit of God. That means, contrary to what you hear all the time out there in the world, we are not all children of God. We are not universally God's children. Now, we're all God's creatures, but we are not all God's children. But as a child of God, I ought to live like a child of God. And so I agree with that. Well, guess what? As not only as a child of God should you live like a child of God, but only the Holy Spirit can empower you to do that. All right? That's the first thing we're going to learn about the Spirit of God. Here's the second thing. The Holy Spirit enables me to know I am a Christian. The Holy Spirit enables me to know that I am a Christian. He not only empowers me to live as a Christian, he enables me to know I am a Christian. So we've already seen one of the marks of the children of, of a child of God is we are led by the Spirit of God. That raises another question. How do we become children of God? How does that work? I mean, you got to be a child of God to be led by the Spirit of God, but before you can be led by the Spirit of God, you got to become a child of God. How does that work? All right, he says this in verse 15. He said, the spirit that you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you received brought about your, say that word out loud, adoption. Brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, here's what Paul is telling us. When we come to Jesus, we come as sinners in slavery to sin. And until you understand that, you'll never even feel your need of Jesus. You know the reason why most people don't think they need a Savior? Because they don't realize they're sinners and slaves to sin. They think they run their own lives. They think they call their own shots. They think they're the master of their own fate. They're not. They are sinners enslaved to sin. Until you realize that, you'll never come to Jesus because you don't realize you need a Savior. 
But when we come to Jesus and realize that and we understand, hey, Jesus died on the cross to free me from sin. That's true. But he doesn't just free us and he doesn't just forgive us. Paul says he adopts us. Now that word really resonates with a number of people in our church. Because we've got a number of people in our church who have adopted children. As a matter of fact, we've got people in our church who have been adopted as children. We've got staff members whose children are adoption. Now, adoption legally, you know what that means. It's the, it's the legal act where one person takes the child of another person and makes that child his own child and gives to that child the same legal position and privilege as if that child were a natural child by birth. But we're not just talking legally here. We're talking spiritually. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for adoption is really a beautiful word. It's, it's a gorgeous word. So many times in the Greek language, one word is actually a combination of two words. Well, the Greek word adoption is a combination of two words. One word means to place, and the other word means son. So what the word adoption literally means is to place into someone's family as a son. And what Paul is saying is, is that when we are born again into the family of God, we are adopted into his family as full-grown sons and full-grown daughters. And the moment we accept God's son is the moment God accepts us as his sons and in his daughters. Now, let me tell you how that works. <clears throat> when you walked in here this morning, what did you see? Or at least, what did you think you see? When you walked in this morning, what did you see? Well, some of you say, well, I, I saw a crowd. Some of you would say, well, I'm, I, I saw a group. Some of you would say, well, I saw a gathering. Some would say, well, I just kind of saw the congregation. You know what God sees right now? God sees a place where all of his adopted children have come together to have a family reunion to worship their father, and to fellowship with other family members. When you surrender to the Son of God and you receive the Spirit of God, you become a part of the family of God. And here's the wonderful news. God did not free us so we could just go out and get into slavery again. God freed us so that we could become his sons. And let me tell you why that's such a big deal to God. Because there's a big difference between a slave and a son. Slaves obey their masters out of fear. Sons obey their fathers out of love. Slaves obey their masters because they have to. Sons obey their fathers because they want to. Slaves are burdened to obey their master. Sons are blessed to obey their father. But then Paul goes on to say this, and I'm telling you, the Jewish Christians in Rome that would have read this book, it would have taken their breath away. He goes on to say in verse 15, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, when we call God Abba Father, we call, you see, I call God Father, so did I. I talked to the Lord this morning. First thing I say, usually, my first two words usually out of my mouth when I get up is my father or, or, or father or whatever. That's usually the first thing that I say. Well, you say, well, I, I say that too. Well, don't yawn when you say that. Don't look bored when you realize that. Can I, can I, can I just kind of clue you in on something, what Paul is trying to tell us? The greatest privilege we have as a Christian is to call God our Father. Far and away, the greatest privilege we have as a Christian is to call God Abba, Father. You do realize this, 
the only Jew in history up until the time of Jesus ever to call God Father was Jesus. No other Jew in history ever said, Abba, Father. No one until Jesus came and only Jesus did it. You know why? Abba is an Aramaic term. It's an everyday word. It's a very homely word. As a matter of fact, it literally means daddy. Not just father formal, but daddy. No Jew would have ever dared to address God in this manner. And yet, here's the amazing thing. Except for when Jesus was on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Except for that one time, go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every single time God, Jesus prayed to God, he prayed to God as his father. Had you gone, to in a if you, had you gone into a synagogue in the days of Jesus, you would have been in the presence of the most pious, religious, knowledgeable Pharisees and Bible scholars you could have found. And they love to pray and they love to pray in public, but they never called God Father. It would have been considered blasphemy to have called the Creator Father. And yet, a Christian is not just someone who knows about God. We're not even someone that just knows God. We know God as our Daddy. We have an intimate relationship. The same relationship that a loving father has to a loving son is the same relationship that we have as a child of God. And you know what? I tell you, I got to think about this the other day. This, is, this really fascinates me. I, you probably have not picked up on it, but I pick up on it a lot. It's really amazing to me when an unbeliever calls out to God for salvation. It, it, I mean, it, it really is interesting. When I'll say to someone, would you like to ask Jesus to come into your heart? And they'll say, well, yeah, I really would. And, and sometimes I'll say, would you like to just do that on your own? They'll say, well, yeah, I'd like to do that on my own. Almost invariably, here's how they'll start. They'll say, uh, God, or they'll say, Lord, or they'll say, uh, Jesus, or, or something like that. And they'll ask God to save them. But invariably, I've seen it happen many, many times. After they get saved, and after they come to Christ, and after they realize who they are, you don't even have to teach them to do this. You know what they just instinctively start doing? Calling God their father. I've never had to teach a believer to call God father. I've never had to do that. But it's amazed me to watch people who, before they come to Jesus, it's God, it's Lord, you know, it's this, it's that. But after they become a believer, there, there's, you say, well, what, what moves them to do that? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that says to them, you are not just free from your sin. It's not just you just got out of jail. You are now a part of the family of God. And the Spirit of God, Paul said, Saul said, will lead you to call him Abba, Father. And when we do that, we're not just obeying Jesus, we are imitating Jesus. Then he goes on to say this, it just gets better. Listen to this. He says in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now let me tell you what, what Paul was telling us. You know, a little baby does not know it's a baby, has no clue it's a baby. A little baby, you ever thought about this? A little baby doesn't even know what it is. A little baby doesn't know if it's a dog, a cat, a chicken, a pig. Doesn't know whether it's a human being or not. That, that, that little baby can't even call his parents by their name. And yet Paul said, when you and I are born into God's family, we're not born into God's family literally as babies. 
He says, we're born into God's family as full-grown sons, full-grown daughters. We have the knowledge that we're children of God. We call God our Father because of this inner testimony to our human spirit. So when you act like a child of God, here's what the Holy Spirit will do. You've had this happen. If you're a believer, I know you've had this happen to you. When you act like a child of God and you obey the Spirit of God and you do what the Holy Spirit of God leads you to do, the Holy Spirit will speak to your spirit. And the Holy Spirit will say something like this, you're doing this because you're a child of God. And you'll find yourself in your spirit saying back, I'm doing this because I am a child of God. He said, the Spirit bears witness to your spirit that you are a child of God. I met a man the other day up in Nashville. I never met him in my life. I was up in the, at, at uh, NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And I met a man that I'd never met in my life. And he came up, he, he knew who, I didn't know him. He knew who I was, see me on television. And he came up to me and you know how you kind of hit it off with people sometimes? We, we just hit it off. And we just began to talk about the things of the Lord. We began to talk about the word. We began to talk this, this that, and the other. And, and before he left, I said, you know what? You know why it's so great to meet people like you? And he said, why? I said, because the spirit in me bears witness to the spirit in you that you and I are children of God. Paul said, that's exactly what happens. He will enable you to know you are a Christian. Then here's the last thing we're finished. What's this? The Holy Spirit enlightens me to what I have as a Christian. He enlightens me to what I have as a Christian. Now, as if this is not more than we already deserve, listen to what he says in verse 17. Now, if we are children, all right, stop right there. So what is it that makes us the children of God? We are what? What is it? Led by the Spirit, right? So if we're led by the Spirit, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Now, just think about this. Think about this. You're a child of God. You're led by the Spirit of God. You are an heir with Christ. You're an heir of God, and you are co-heirs with Christ. Now, you say, well, is that good? Well, let me show you what the author of Hebrews said about Jesus. He said, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of, what's that little word there? All. Heir of all things. You ready for this? If this does not wake you up on Time Change Sunday, I can't help you. We're going to get everything Jesus gets, and Jesus is going to get everything. That's mind-boggling. We're going to get everything that Jesus gets, and Jesus gets everything. Now, see, this is how cool this is. In the arithmetic of planet Earth, right, if, if you've got more than one heir and it's kind of, you know, you have in your wills kind of share and share alike, then each heir receives an equal share of the inheritance. Now, what does that mean? That means that this heir gets a portion and this heir gets a portion and this heir gets a portion and this heir gets a portion. All right, so they get kind of a fraction of the whole amount. Heaven's arithmetic is totally different. Every adopted child of God receives the full inheritance of the full estate. We get everything, and everybody gets everything. No one is left out. Nothing is left out. However, there's a difference. 
Jesus has always been the heir of all things. Jesus has always owned everything. But now, wait a minute. How did we get in on it? How did we get written into the will? All right, now think about this. Why did God adopt us? Why did God adopt you? Why did God adopt me? Well, I can tell you why he didn't. He didn't adopt us because we were good looking. He didn't adopt us because he needed our wisdom. He didn't adopt us because he thought we might add something he didn't already have. Now, this is just, this is why I just, I can't get over this. God adopted us because of one reason, and it's found in one word. And if you don't tell me this word after eight weeks, I'm going to kick you out of this church. What do you think that word is? Grace. Grace. God adopted us just because of grace. I mean, knowing full well, listen to this, knowing full well the trouble we would be, knowing full well the price he'd have to pay, he signed his name next to our name, changed our name to his name, and took us into his family. Now, let's apply what we've learned. Let's let's get this real practical and we'll finish up. I want to ask you two questions. I want all of you to answer this now. Stay with me. I want to ask you two questions. Where are you right now? And who are you right now? Now, I don't mean by that moron, I'm in this building. That's not what I'm talking about. I know you're in the building. That's not what I'm asking. Well, my last name is Smith. No, I'm not asking that. I'm, I'm much, this, these questions are much deeper. Who are you? Where are you? And who are you? We've learned that every person on this planet is in one of two places. You're either in Adam, that is, he was the original sinner who gave us our sinful nature. You're either in Adam or you are in Jesus. Or, to put it another way, you're either in the Spirit or you're in the flesh. Or, to put it another way, you either live by the Spirit or you live by the flesh. You're either led by the Spirit or you're led by the flesh. You either live according to the Spirit or you live according to the flesh. Either your mind is governed by the Spirit or it's governed by the flesh. So, first question I'm asking you is, where are you right now? You're in one of two places. You are either in the Spirit or you are in the flesh. All right, that's the first question. Second question, who are you? Who are you? So what do you mean? Well, we just read it. You are either right now a child of God on the inside of God's house looking out, or you're not a child of God and you're on the outside of God's house looking in. Now, if you are not a believer, Here's the great news. You ready? You're you're not a believer. You've never really given your life to Jesus Christ. You know it. God knows it. No need to try to hide it. No need to lie about it. You're not a believer. You ready? You ready for the good news? God right now is ready to sign your adoption papers. Right now. God's ready to adopt you into his family. God is ready to do that right now. He's ready not just to free you from your sin. He's not going to take you as a freed slave. He says, look, I am willing and ready right now to forgive you, free you, and then to bring you into my family as a son and a daughter with all the privileges and honors you could possibly enjoy. That's the news if you're not a believer. 
Now, if you are a believer, let me give you this thought. You are not your own. You belong to God. But it gets better. (laughs) You're not on your own. The Spirit leads you. And real grace means that the Christian life is not trying to live for God in your flesh because you can't do it. Real grace means it is letting God live his life through you by his spirit. So if you're a believer, I want to give you an assignment. This is your homework for the week, okay? This is your homework for the week. In every decision you make, from now until next Sunday. I mean every decision. I really mean that. I don't mean, you know, am I going to go to the grocery store today or not tomorrow? I'm not talking about those kind of mundane decisions, but you know what I'm talking about. In every decision that affects you morally and spiritually and ethically and emotionally and physically, in every decision that you make this week, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who is leading me to make this decision and where will this decision take me? Who is leading me to make this decision, and where will this decision take me? And here's the great news. Here's what Paul says. If you live in the Spirit, and you're led by the Spirit, you will be filled with the love of the Spirit, and you will obey God, not as a slave obeys his master. You'll obey God as a child obeys his father. That is our family privilege. Let's pray together.